Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. And uh, several of the young folks here today have asked me, what's happening at City Hope? How are you here? And uh, uh, by God's grace, uh, one of those that was sent with us, Dennis Slack, uh, preached last week for me and then also is preaching this week for me. So we are so grateful uh, to him and uh, to all the volunteers at City Hope giving us this opportunity. But over the last year, I have gotten the question over and over again, how's it going? Like, how's it going? And it's kind of hard to answer that question. And so I've come up with a, a shorthand to answer that question. And I say, well, I haven't been fired. City Hope still exists. And Whitney hasn't left me. So I think it's going well. I, and I give that answer for a couple of reasons. One, it, it kind of fits my personality. A little self-deprecating humor and uh, some vagueness, uh, which is kind of how I roll. Um, but also, I think partially I give that answer because faithfulness and success is really making it to the end. That's one of the measures of success is making it. Just continuing and being faithful. But another reason I give that answer is I honestly don't know. One of the things that this year has brought out for us, and God has done some incredible things, and I could share some really cool stories of what God is doing in creating a multi-ethnic worshiping community. Uh, folks who should not be hanging out together that are hanging out together. Folks experiencing Jesus in new ways. Folks moving closer and closer towards baptism and, and, and coming under the uh, leadership of our church and uh, joining with us. There's been some incredible things, but also one of the things that's been most consistent throughout this year for me personally has been a sort of internal struggle. Just figuring out myself. What does it mean to be a pastor? This is my first time being a full-time pastor. Um, what does it mean to be a church planter? What is my role? What am I supposed to do? There are some days that my role looks like taking... Uh, buying diet soda for a man and taking it to his place because he really needed it because uh, uh, for some health reasons. And that was like, is that my job? I don't really know what's going on here. And other days, early on, it was uh, doing a lot of online shopping to figure out how are we going to set up our nursery. All of these things that I did not anticipate, what does this actually look like and what is my role it's really easy to get distracted, and it's really easy to get completely overwhelmed. Well, it's easy probably to look at my situation, being a first-time pastor, being a first-time church planner, and say, that makes sense. It's hard to figure out your role in that place. But what about you? If I were to ask you, what is your role in the kingdom of God, would you have an answer to that? What part do you play in this grand narrative of God redeeming the world and drawing the world to himself? You see, I think it's easy for us to look at pastors and say, okay, I can understand why you would wrestle with that. But I think honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all wrestling with that question to some degree. And we can all get easily distracted or overwhelmed when we think about the task ahead of us. Evangelism to the lost discipleship of Christians, ministry, service, service to the poor, service within the church. It's easy to get overwhelmed, and I think one way we talk about this often is burnout. That I've been serving so much and I feel so burned out. 
And sometimes I think burnout is that we have given too much. We've given a lot of ourselves. We've given so much time and energy and haven't been filled up and we haven't taken care of ourselves and we need to take a break. But I do think a lot of burnout is that we have fundamentally misunderstood what God has called us to do. We've misunderstood our role and so we have taken burdens upon ourselves that aren't ours to bear. Our shoulders simply aren't broad enough to carry that load and we've taken it upon ourselves and we get burned out. Well, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark that I think illustrates this that we're going to look at this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, we're going to read this story together. And if you have one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 491. And if you, uh, once you get that, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to read a portion of this, and then uh, we'll kind of pick up the story throughout. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And I'm just going to read the first two verses, and then we'll kind of talk about it and then read a little bit more. This is the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Pray with me. Father God, we are desperate for your word. Lord, these people and I myself have come not to listen to me or my words, but to hear from you, the living God. Would you speak as your word is proclaimed, and would you by your spirit transform us Lord, we are needy and we need your glory. Would you transform us? Would you open our eyes to see what this text has to teach us, God? And would you use us and this church for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, this week I was looking at an article online that uh, gave eight steps to a good spiritual retreat. The first step was to choose a quiet place, maybe something that looks a little bit like this. That looks nice, doesn't it? That looks like a great place to have a quiet spiritual retreat. It says to schedule yourself loosely, step two. Step three, to retreat with a friend or spouse. Step four, to spend time in prayer and scripture reading. Step five, to keep a journal. Step six, break up your time into sessions. Step seven, in between these sessions, do something that allows you to free your mind, doesn't require mental effort, like take a walk or hike. And step eight, to use your retreat to create tangible goals. Well, at the early part of this passage, it looks like Jesus is following these steps to create a spiritual retreat for his disciples. He says, come, let's go away by ourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. A place maybe that looks something like this. Let's go away, let's get away, and let's rest. It looks as though Jesus is setting the table for the feast of rest. So, this appears to be what Jesus is doing, given what has been going on for the disciples. Now, the disciples have been on a ministry tour, right? Jesus sent them away. Jesus equipped them and then sent them away to go do ministry. 
And that happens in uh, the beginning part of chapter 6. He calls the 12 together. He sends them out. He gives them this hard ministry task. Don't take anything with you. Go out and proclaim the gospel. They go out and do it, and they come back. And they return, and they say, Jesus, this is all that God did while we were away. Now, it's really busy where they're at, right? Because Jesus is pretty popular at this point. So it says, the text says that there, many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So they are very busy. And Jesus seems to be setting up their ability to rest. Come, let's go away to a desolate place to rest. And so, the rest of this sermon is going to be about what it means to get rest. And I'm going to tell you a few key principles on how to get rest based upon how Jesus does this for his disciples. Not really. Because that's not really what happens here. The story takes a very quick shift to another direction. Because Jesus is ultimately doing something far more important in the lives of the disciples. So let's read on to see what happens to the disciples. Starting in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Let's stop there a moment. The disciples at this point are hit with some uninvited dinner guests. They went away for this wonderful retreat to be alone with their master Jesus to share with them all the things that they had done the disciples at this point are exhausted they're hungry right it said that they had no leisure even to eat so they're hungry they're exhausted they've just come back from a ministry tour and Jesus promised them rest and then crowds show up can you imagine how frustrated the disciples are at this point? I mean, Jesus, we were just on ministry tour for you. You promised us rest, and now the crowds are here, and now I'm probably, I'm guessing, if I were one of them, this is what I would be waiting for, Jesus to tell the crowds, hey guys, I need to be with my disciples. They've been working hard. Go home. But that's not what he does. He has compassion on the crowds, because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he begins to teach them. Now, it's easy to think that probably the disciples at this point probably sat down and learned from his teaching and were very studious and, and uh, realized we ought to be like Jesus, and they are sheep without a shepherd, so we ought to have compassion on them. But I'm guessing the disciples were more like me, and they were really frustrated. They were really frustrated. Like, Jesus, you promised us alone time with just us and you. And now these people are here, and they're in my way. This quiet retreat that looked like this now looks a lot more like this. 
There's people everywhere. We can't get away. And then, on top of that, they come to him with a very practical question. Okay, send them away because they need to eat. It's getting late. And Jesus says, you feed them. I mean, at this point, the disciples are probably kicking stuff, right? Unless they're a lot holier than me. That's what I'd be doing. I mean, they are really annoyed and frustrated at this point. Jesus won't rebuke the crowds for interrupting their rest and crashing their feast. No, Jesus now instructs them to feed this crowd that's interrupting their feast with Jesus. You feed them. And the disciples respond, shall we take, a a denarii is one day's work, Uh, one day's wages for a worker. So they're saying, shall we blow our entire ministry budget on this crowd that interrupted our rest? 200 denarii? Shall we blow 200 days wages to feed this crowd, which didn't even have the the, uh, sense to avoid our rest time? Jesus, you really want us to blow our whole ministry budget on this? You feed them. Friends, I I can relate to the disciples at this point. I think there have been many experiences throughout this past year where I've been exhausted and tired and God brings another broken person to me and says, you feed them. And I'm like, I, I don't think I have anything left. What, what, what am I going to feed them with? I've got nothing left. I can relate to them. How about, how about you? You come to church just wanting to get fed, and someone you know who's here comes, and you know they have big problems in their life, and they come to you and ask you questions. And you're just here to meet with Jesus. And Jesus says, you feed them. Or you come to small group, you're disappointed in your incomplete sorrow at the experience of another miscarriage, and someone announces that they're pregnant. And Jesus says, you feed them. Or you're hanging out with a non-Christian friend, you're struggling to keep hope and purity as a single person, and they tell you about their relationship and how it's struggling, their marriage is breaking down, and Jesus says to you, you feed them. Where you go to a coffee shop to spend time with Jesus, and someone starts asking you questions because he saw your Bible. So am I going to share my faith or am I just going to spend time with Jesus? And Jesus says, you feed them. Or you've been working all day long and you get home and your kids had a really hard day. And you're frustrated and you're annoyed and they come to you and Jesus says, you feed them. And you're exhausted and you're hungry, and you're tired, and the crowds are clamoring around. You feed them. Seems that there are broken people and broken relationships around us all the time, and it feels like Jesus 
doesn't come to us with those broken people and broken relationships when we're super well rested, when we've had lots of sleep and we're on this incredible feeling, right? Like uh, there's this new craze in our culture towards uh, self-care, which I think is actually really important. Self-care is super important. But as a Christian, sometimes we get really, uh, I, I get really overwhelmed at the idea of caring for myself and being rested and having all of these great uh, experiences, getting lots of great sleep and all this stuff. And then Jesus just brings broken people into my life, not when I'm well rested and all of those things are going great, but when I'm really tired. It seems like this is not just a one-off thing that Jesus does with the disciples, right? This happens in our lives all the time. The moment when you're able to have the greatest missional impact is not when you're the most well-rested and prepared. It's when you're at your lowest and you're broken yourself. And you're exhausted. And you're not sure you can go any further. And Jesus brings more broken people to you and says, you feed them. What are we going to do? What are the disciples going to do in the midst of this? How are the disciples going to respond to this? Because it's very clear that they don't have enough bread to feed these people. Really, Jesus has asked them to do an impossible thing. They don't have the bread. So what are they going to do? Well, Jesus himself must act. Let's read on, starting in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 5,000 men, not to mention the women and the children that were a part of that. So see, in the midst of this impossible moment, Jesus acts. He feeds them. Now, what's the point of this whole episode? I I think there are a number of things that we can see. One, very clearly, Jesus' miracles always have a greater point. They're always about serving the people that he serves, right? When he heals someone or when he feeds these 5,000 people, he is serving this people. But there's always a greater point. And one of those points always throughout the Gospels is to testify, this is no mere man. This is no prophet only. This is God himself in the flesh. And that certainly is at play here, that Jesus is showing again who he is. But it's interesting, within the Gospel of Mark, there is actually a second feeding story in the Gospel of Mark. Just a few chapters over, in in chapter 8, Jesus feeds again 4,000 people. Mark takes kind of an approach, this is what I love about the Gospel of Mark, Mark takes the approach uh, from the Apostle Peter, and Peter, we know, struggled quite a bit. And Peter was a slow learner which is why Peter and I get along. And Peter took a long time to learn things, and so one of the things you see throughout the Gospel of Mark is it kind of shows the deficiencies of the disciples pretty clearly. 
And this feeding, this second feeding story really showcases this, right? So Jesus has fed 5,000 people. Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And right after that feeding, Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples and he warns them about the teaching of the Pharisees. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? He's just been feeding them bread. He uses that as an analogy for teaching. And he says, beware of their teaching. It's like leaven. It can get into something and then it spreads throughout. And you know what the disciples do in the boat? They start talking. They're like, wait a second. We forgot the bread. We don't have any bread. And Jesus looks at him and says, are you asking if you have bread? Like, how many baskets left over did you have when I fed the 5,000? And how many baskets did you have left over when you fed the 4,000? They literally have the guy who multiplies bread in their boat, and they're worried about not having bread. Like, come on, disciples. Like, get it together. You've got Jesus with you. I'm pretty sure you're going to have bread. He's fed a lot of people, and there's just 12 of you. You're probably going to be all right. And it says at the end, that they don't get it. He says, do you not yet understand? Because they didn't yet understand who Jesus was. And what he was trying to tell them. What he was trying to force them to see. And, and what is that? Well, we get a hint from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uh, has a, a moment where it, it talks about the teaching that Jesus did after this feeding. Right? So Jesus feeds the 5,000, goes away, comes back the next day. And in John, they're like, hey, we'd like some more bread. That was a pretty cool trick. Could you do that again? And Jesus begins teaching instead. And this is what Jesus says in the midst of that time. Whoops, sorry, I missed my other point. I don't always have three points, so I came up with this afterwards. And then, so I missed my, my third point there, Sorry. Uh, Jesus is setting the table for the real feast. That's, if you're taking notes, that's the third point there. Uh, Jesus says this in John 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Friends, the point that Jesus is making is I am the bread of life. I told you to feed them, but you can't. What they need is not you, but me. I am the bread of life. I'm the one they need. And I'm going to give this bread to any and all who will trust in me, and they can have eternal life. Friends, Jesus is declaring to us that he is the bread of life. That he will feed the crowds that are coming like sheep without a shepherd. He is the one that will feed them. How does this transform our ministry, friends? How does this transform our role in the kingdom of God? Well, we are forced, like the disciples, to see... That we need Jesus to show up. That we have a truly impossible task like the disciples had. 
I have come to realize this over and over again in planting City Hope, but the same is true for New Life Presbyterian Church. New Life Presbyterian Church, City Hope Fellowship, we have an impossible task. As I look out at our city and see racial tension and broken relationships and families, addiction, substance abuse, economic turmoil, homelessness, mental illness, health crisis, unbelief, abuse, anger, resentment, gun violence, and on and on and on. Friends, we have an impossible task. And Jesus looks at this world that we live in, the state of this world, and he feels compassion on them. He feels He bears their burdens. He feels sorrow at their situation. He is moved by his pain into action. He doesn't feel frustrated with the world. He's not saying to this crowd, get your act together. Shape up. Change the way you live. Come on, get it together. He's not condemning them because they are simply reaping the consequences of their own actions upon themselves. He has compassion on them. And then he says to us, through the Holy Spirit in this passage, to us, you feed them. You feed them. And the point is getting us to say, Jesus, I can't feed them. Friends, if you look at the problems of our city, of our world of this church, of my church, of your very own life and heart, if you look at those problems and say, I got this, you're missing the point. You don't. You can't. You don't have the power to overcome any of those problems. Jesus is getting you to, forcing you into the position of saying, I can't do it. That's what he's forcing these disciples to say. I can't do it, Jesus. It's impossible. He's not teaching them four keys to a successful ministry. He's teaching them one key that's essential to ministry. It's getting them to admit, now get this, getting them to admit after a successful ministry tour. They had success on their ministry tour. After a successful ministry tour, And in the midst of exhaustion, getting them to admit, I can't do it. It's too much. It's far too much. It's impossible. I need you, Jesus, to provide the bread. You see, friends, at the end of the day, what the world needs from the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. Bob's gone and I broke his stuff. Don't tell him. At least a wasp didn't attack me. I heard about that. I was a little nervous to come back. Nothing like dropping your uh, remote to kill a good point. Friends, what the world needs from the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. What we have to offer the world is Jesus That's what he's getting the disciples to realize. The only thing that you have to offer the world is me. That's it. I'm the bread of life. You've got nothing else but me. You can't do it. You simply can't do it. What's our role then, friends? Our role 
is to set the table. You see what he said to the disciples? The disciples, it said uh, in verse 41, gave it to the disciples, gave the bread to the disciples to set before the people. To set before the people. Our job, friends, is to set the table for Jesus to show up. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a hard job. You try setting a table for 5,000 people. I can't even set the table for my family of five successfully and get them all to sit at the table to eat a meal. So how how am I going to set a table for 5,000 people, right? This is hard. It requires strategy and thinking, planning and dreaming and hard work. Friends, the work of ministry, whether that's serving in Sunday morning in the nursery or planting a church or sharing the gospel with a dear friend who does not believe, that is hard work. It's really hard. But what frees us to do that hard work is knowing our role. Our role is never to provide the bread for that person. Our role is never to provide what they ultimately need. Jesus' job is to do that. We can't bear that burden. That's not our burden to bear. We show up, we set the table, we present Jesus, and he shows up and does the work. He does the transforming work. He's the one who will provide what people need. He's the one who does the work. Our job is simply to set the table. He provides the bread. Now also I need to say that By that, I don't mean that this passage is merely spiritual and that the church's work is merely spiritual and we shouldn't be in the business of addressing social or physical needs. That would be quite a strange application to a passage where Jesus literally provides bread for people because they're hungry. Uh, What I'm saying when I say that the, the world needs from the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I mean the whole Jesus Christ, the one who is working to redeem all things, not just spiritual things, but physical and social as well. We need to be about the same robust ministry that Jesus is about, but it's an understanding that we can't do anything if Jesus doesn't show up. Anything of value, even the physical mercy things that we do, If it's going to be in the way of Jesus, Jesus has to show up or it's worth nothing. But friends, you know what I often miss in this story? This is just so incredible. Jesus shows up and tells them, I am the bread of life. I will provide where you can't provide. But you know what I miss? The disciples themselves were hungry too. Remember, they had not had leisure to eat. They were hungry too. And you know what else? They ate the bread that Jesus provided, just like everyone else. You see, as a Christian and as the church collectively, our role in the kingdom of God is to set the table for the Lord Jesus Christ, to provide the bread from heaven himself to the world. And yet, in another sense, our role is actually just to sit at the same table, one that Jesus himself provides for us. That Jesus actually sets the table for us and provides for us. 
Friends, we're going to participate here in a few moments in the Lord's Supper together, which exemplifies this in such a beautiful way. One of the reasons I love the Lord's Supper is because it is the ultimate display of grace. How do you grow as a Christian? By eating bread and drinking of this cup. It's one of the ways in which you grow as a Christian. How much more could that be of grace? Right? I mean, look at that. That looks foolish to the world. How do you grow? Hard work. How do we grow? We eat a meal. Because we're saying in this meal... Now, now, I'm not saying that there aren't other ways to grow that require hard work. That's certainly true. But the reality is that all the ways that we grow as a Christian is all of grace. You can't do it. Just as you can't do ministry on your own in any meaningful way, you can't grow as a Christian or experience God in any meaningful way apart from Jesus showing up and feeding you of himself. This bread which represents Jesus' broken body on the cross. This cup which represents his shed blood on the cross. Friends, you can't know God apart from experiencing the grace that Jesus offers here in the cross. This meal, friends, which this passage points to, ultimately points to the reality of what Jesus will do on a cross where he will take your sin and my sin upon himself because you can't do it. You can't obey the law perfectly. You can't bear your sin before a holy God. You must run to another who will provide for you so that you can have relationship with God, so that you can be known intimately by God. So friends, the reality of this gospel calls us to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, friends, look at how this Savior provides for you. God knows your deepest need, which is intimacy with him. And he knows that it is impossible for you to meet that need apart from him. And so he sent his very own son to come into the world and to live the life that you should have lived. And to die the death that you should have died. So that you can repent and turn from yourself and your sins. And trust in this Jesus who freely offers life everlasting. This is the glory of our Savior. Repent and believe in Him today. And friends, if you're here this morning and you are trusting in Jesus and you are a Christian, remember anew what Jesus has done for you. And then repent of your efforts to save the world. You can't do it. You have to come simply setting the table for Jesus to do it. He's the Savior of the world, not us. And in the midst of that, we can be reminded that Jesus himself will feed the crowds that need to be fed because he has compassion upon them. And above all, we will come together as God's people and to feast on Jesus and him alone. Let's pray together. Father God, we are overwhelmed by your grace that you would send your son to come to earth for us 
Jesus, that you would come and to bear our sin in our place. And Holy Spirit, that you would come and open our eyes to see Jesus, to see his glory. Open our hearts to receive him as Lord and Savior. And then dwell in us to strengthen us and to fill us. God, would you help New Life Presbyterian Church? Would you help City Help Fellowship? Would you help us, Lord, to know that our job is to set the table? And Jesus, as we do so, would you provide the bread? Would you show up in big ways to provide for those who are broken and in need of your grace, Lord? And would you, this morning, as we take of the Lord's Supper together, would you feed us, Jesus, as we partake by faith? Would you feed us all for your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name.